Let's just pray. Father, we ask that as we turn to your word, that your Holy Spirit will just make it very clear. Father, we pray that we'll just understand more and more of, of your truth. <clears throat> Lord, that we'll understand more and more about you, and about Jesus and about the Holy Spirit. Father, we need you so much. And Lord, we want to be close to you. Lord, we want to be faithful to you. And Father, we pray now that you'll bless us and that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher. Because we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs> and now for something completely different. And what I want us to ask tonight is very simply one question. Is Christmas scriptural? Alright, the festive season is once more upon us. And we're going to ask, is it scriptural? Now, obviously, I don't mean, is the birth of Jesus scriptural? <laughs> I'm not asking that. I'm talking about the festivities. You know, Christmas, we, you know, we, we make it a special time of the year. And we've got to ask, is it scriptural to do this? Well, immediately, the answer to the question, is Christmas scriptural, is no. But having said that, neither is running a teaching tape library, because in Bible times, no one invented the tape recorder. Uh, tennis isn't scriptural either, because in Bible times they hadn't invented tennis. So if we're asking is Christmas scriptural, that's really the wrong question. Of course it's not. You know, it's too new to be scriptural, just like motor cars. So what we've got to do is to rephrase the question, and we'll put it like this. Should Christians celebrate Christmas? Alright, now that's the question we've got to answer. Should we, as Christians, celebrate Christmas? Now one of the reasons, I'm, well two reasons I'm doing this. Firstly, it's good that we take nothing for granted. We should be continuously reassessing our lives and our practice, how we live in the light of God's Word. So we cannot even afford to take Christmas for granted. We need to know whether it's right or wrong to celebrate it. But also, there are an increasing number of genuine Christians, genuine Christians who are uh, who live in submission to Jesus, who are now completely turning their back on Christmas. So many Christians are reacting against it and saying that it's wrong. So in the light of those two things, we can't afford to take it for granted as Christians, but also lots and lots of our brothers and sisters are concluding that it is wrong and they're ceasing to observe it in any way at all. Therefore, we need to know exactly where we stand on this. Now, obviously, one of the arguments, in fact, one of the main arguments from the Christians who don't observe Christmas and think it's wrong to do so, <coughs> one of the arguments that they put forward is, is to point out that Christmas, and in fact, much of what I'm going to say tonight will apply to Easter as well, they point out that Christmas was originally a pagan festival, which is completely true. And they say that this festival, because this country, you know, hundreds of years ago, you know, came under Christian influences, that what happened was that, that they simply Christianized a pagan festival, which is absolutely true. You must understand this. Yule logs and stuff like that, I mean, that all, all goes back to totally pagan and satanic uh, history. There's no question about it. And they say it's not enough to merely Christianize it. You've got to give it up completely. Now, from that, it should immediately become clear then that 
if we were to celebrate Christmas as a pagan festival, then clearly that would be wrong. Can you see what I'm saying? If a Christian was to celebrate Christmas as a pagan festival, then one could immediately say, well, in that case, it's wrong to observe Christmas. And we would know that purely from the teaching in the Bible that, for instance, it is completely wrong to be involved in idolatry. And that if one observed Christmas as a pagan festival in the way that they originally were, then, of course, that would be idolatry and completely wrong. It would also be true that if a celebration of Christmas inherently involved sin, i.e., for instance, if getting drunk and getting off with people and free sex and, uh, and carousing, i.e., mad partying, now, if that was inherently a part of Christmas, then obviously that would be wrong and you shouldn't celebrate it because all those things themselves are sins. But, having said that, that isn't how any of us celebrate Christmas anyway, is it? I hope not. I'm going to take that as being read. So, what we've got here thus far is this. So, given that for us as Christians, that, that Christmas is not pagan, or that it's not naughty in, in the way that I've just described, given that it isn't pagan or naughty, then does that mean that the Bible teaches that we ought to celebrate it. If Christmas is going to be pure for us, then does that mean that the Bible does teach that we ought to celebrate it in the right way? Well, the answer is no. It's, it's not quite that simple, you see. And we're going to try and get round this problem. This is not straightforward and won't be for about another ten minutes. But after about ten minutes, it will be. You see, the thing is, that if Christmas was a biblical commandment, uh, like baptism, um, or having fellowship together, or even breaking bread, or things like that, if Christmas came into that category of Bible teaching, then it would, of course, be absolutely mandatory. You know, like being baptised, things like that. I mean, there'd be no question. The Bible commands it, you do it. Now, of course, in the Old Testament, Israel, remember Christmas is a feast, it's an especially, it's a particular <coughs> festive time. Now in the Old Testament, Israel had various feasts and festivals that they were commanded to observe. There was no question about it, they were biblical commandments. God commanded Israel that at certain times of the year, they'd have a certain festival in special remembrance of something. All right. Now, they had no choice about that, it was binding. But you see, the thing is, nowhere in the Bible, because we, of course, are not under the law of Moses, I mean, we're not Israelites, okay, and in the New Testament, you can search through it all you like, but the church is not in any way commanded to observe any festivals whatsoever, all right? Israel had to, but there is no special festivals in any way at all obligatory on Christians, on those of us who are part of the church, you see. So, therefore, we must conclude this, that to celebrate Christmas is in no way commanded in the Bible at all. Whether, you know, it's kind of saying that you've got to practice it in a right way as opposed to a wrong way, it just isn't there. We are not commanded to observe Christmas. 
Christmas is not a Christian festival as far as the Bible is concerned. So let's put this together and I'm going to ask and then answer two questions. Therefore, does the Bible teach that we should celebrate Christmas? Well, the answer is no, it doesn't. So the second question must therefore be, does the Bible teach against celebrating Christmas in principle? Now the answer is again, no, it doesn't. Are you getting confused? We've seen, we've asked, does the Bible teach that we ought to celebrate Christmas? The answer to that is no, it doesn't. Therefore, does the Bible teach against celebrating something like Christmas? And again, the answer is no, the Bible doesn't. And we've got to see the principle here. We've got to see the teaching that the Bible gives that would cover both this question of Christmas, but also quite a few other things as well. And you see, biblically, it's simply this. Christmas, like many other things, I mean Christmas as a festival, it's just kind of there. It's in our society, all right? Now, like so many other things, it is completely neutral. And because it is morally neutral, it is up to you. It's a personal decision that you are free to take. You see, Christmas is of no moral or spiritual significance one way or the other. Of course it's not, because it's not scriptural. In exactly the same way a motor car is of no moral significance, not, you know, or, or spiritual significance whatsoever. It is a totally neutral thing, and this is the thing with Christmas. So because it's neutral, you simply make up your own mind about it. It's purely up to you. It's between you and the Lord whether or not you celebrate Christmas. But here is another principle that comes directly from that. You see, the thing is, if you're one of these people who doesn't celebrate Christmas, and you are quite free, that's no problem whatsoever. But if you are a Christian who doesn't celebrate Christmas, you have no right whatsoever to say to Christians who do that they're wrong. Because it's not right or wrong, it's up to you. But in exactly the same way, if you are a Christian who does celebrate Christmas, then you have no right whatsoever to look at Christians who don't celebrate it as if there's something wrong with them. Can you see what I mean? Because it's morally neutral, because it's up to us, no one is right and no one is wrong. So, if you celebrate Christmas and you meet a Christian who doesn't, you have no right to try and make Christmas binding on them because it's not binding on them. It's not binding on anyone at all. And so we simply have this regarding Christmas. God does not require it. If he had required it, it would have been in the Bible, but it isn't. But having said that he doesn't require it, he doesn't mind it either. It, it's purely up to you. And this is the position in the Bible. Now, having said all that, I suppose that now you want me to show you from the Bible that what I've said is true. So, I appreciate it if you can't just take my word for it. <laughs> so, we better see what the Bible says, ho-hum. I'm taking liberties because this is a special Christmas one. If you go first of all to Romans, Romans chapter 14. And look, can you see, I've given you this biblical principle that in regards to anything, 
that is morally or spiritually <coughs> insignificant, i.e. it's neutral, anything that is morally or spiritually neutral, it is up to you. And this is the principle, and we're going to see now where the New Testament teaches this principle. We're looking at Christmas, but it applies to a thousand other things as well. Alright, in Romans 14, and we'll start from verse 4. Now, this is Paul talking about the fact that some people are meat-eaters, but some people, because of conscience, uh, become vegetarians. Now, we know from the Bible that there is nothing wrong with eating meat. Nothing wrong whatsoever. But, what Paul is saying, but if there are people who really do want to be vegetarians, then they are quite free to do so. And you're not to pile in on them and try and change them. You've got to respect the position they've taken in, your, in their conscience. Albeit, you're quite free to, to debate it with them. Of course you are, but you mustn't get on to them or anything like that. Now look, in verse 4, he says, <coughs> Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Now, we're, talki we're talking here about something that's morally neutral, and because it's, there's no question of it being right or wrong, there's no question of moral judgment. So he says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the master is able to make him stand. Now this is a bit more to our point. One man esteems one day as better than another, while another man esteems all days alike. Let everyone be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it in honour of the Lord. He also who eats, eats in honour of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while he who abstains, abstains in honour of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Now can you see what Paul is saying? There is no question in the church about special days, and of course this includes this, this daft idea we've got about the Sabbath. Because, of course, the Sabbath was a commandment that God gave to Israel. And if you're really going to be technical, you might, if you feel you've got to observe the Sabbath, you've got to do it on a Saturday. Because yeah. the Sabbath was a Saturday. But, of course, it's interesting. Because of the Ten Commandments, none of them are binding on us by virtue of being the Ten Commandments, because that was between God and Israel. I'm not a Jew. It doesn't apply to me. But in the covenant that God's made between himself and us, the church, all of the Ten Commandments are reiterated, so therefore they are binding on us, but not because they're in the Ten Commandments, but because they're repeated to the Church, alright, in the New Testament. But only nine of them, and there's one of the Ten Commandments that isn't repeated in anywhere in the New Testament, and isn't binding on us at all, and it's the one about the Sabbath. So Paul is here saying, there is no question of there being special days, be it a Sabbath, or be it Christmas. But he says, so if you want to live like that, if you, know, if you want to forget about special days completely, fine. No problem, he says. He says, but however, if you've got a thing about special days and you want to have a special day, then he says, you're quite free to do that as well. And of course, for me, I mean, I'm, I'm just not, I mean, I am not a Sabbatarian in any way at all. Couldn't care less what day of the week it is. Does, doesn't bother me in the slices. It's not yeah. binding on it. I don't observe Sundays. It's a convenient day to have fellowship. But there's nothing special about Sundays. Not to me. If there is for you, fine. You're quite yeah, free for it to be special yeah. for you. 
But I am completely rational because whereas I've got no time for the Sabbath, I've got all the time in the world for Christmas. I love it. So therefore, I am perfectly free to observe Christmas. Can you see? If you want to observe special days, you can. If you want to reject them totally, you can. If you like some but not others, you are totally free to choose. This area is morally neutral. It is totally up to you. Now then, what I've just said about the Sabbath and Sunday being a special day, don't say I'm saying that, 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 that church life isn't important. I'm not saying that at all. Sunday is a tremendously convenient day. But on the other hand, if the government made Sunday a normal working day tomorrow and gave us Tuesday, you're fine. That'd be great. No problem whatsoever. So don't read me wrong. I'm just saying there are no special days at all. Go over to Colossians. Again, keep bearing this principle in mind. We're talking about things that because they're neither right nor wrong, you can do what you like. It's lovely. It's not a lot you can do as you like as a Christian, but these are things where you can do as you like. I love it. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. And Paul says this. Actually, interestingly enough, did, did Paul believe that Sunday was special? Well, he obviously didn't, so he couldn't write this lot if he did, could he? Now then, Colossians 2, 16. Therefore... Let no one pass judgment. Now, judgment is to declare right or wrong. Paul is saying, do not let anyone say you are either right or wrong on the following. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regards to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. You see... And the Colossians had people coming along, you know, and they were making special days mandatory and certain foods that you could eat and couldn't eat. Paul says, rubbish. Rubbish. He says, these things are neither right nor wrong. It's totally up to you. Whatever you want to do, you're quite free to do. Go back into Galatians, when Paul writes to Galatians. And of course, the Galatian church were in trouble because most of them were Jews who had got converted, or a lot of them were Jews who had got converted. Now, the great problem they had is that they were mixing up Christianity with their Judaism. And of course their Judaism had all these rules and regulations, special foods, special days, you know, stuff like that. But once Jesus died, all the law, well, I mean, that was, that, that was gone, it was fulfilled, it had done its job, you see. But the Galatians, they kept bringing their old legalistic Judaism into their Christianity, and what a mess they got into. Now in Galatians 4 verse 8, he says, now listen to it, formerly, when you did not know God, you were in bondage to beings that by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and beggarly elemental spirits whose slaves you want to be once more? Now listen to this. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I have laboured over you in vain. Now can you see it again? The Galatians were observing special days and seasons as being mandatory, required by God. We're seeing that there is nothing like that now that is required by God. So therefore, Paul writes to them, and he says, Oh my goodness, you're making special days mandatory. That's wrong. Special days and seasons can never be mandatory. They're neither right nor wrong. They're purely up to you. Can you see this principle? Go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we'll start reading from verse 23. 
And Paul says this. He says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbour. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Now, can you see that? The dispute was on that there were certain foods that were right, but there were certain foods that you couldn't eat, all right? Now, Paul is saying, eat whatever is sold without any question of conscience. Why? Well, because no food is wrong. Well, except other people. <laughs> you see, but given that no food except other people is morally wrong, there's no question of conscience. But he goes on to say, for the earth is the laws and everything in it. He says, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, so he says, if you're invited to a dinner party and you want to go, go, all right? And he says, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then out of consideration for the man who informed you and for conscience sake, I mean his conscience, not yours, do not eat it. So what Paul is saying, you are free to eat whatever is put in front of you. The same as you are free to observe or not observe any days you like, all right? But he says, however, if there's someone at that meal with you who believes, you see, in the Corinthian church, when you got your steak, that cow might have been sacrificed to an idol. Now, Paul's saying that it doesn't matter, you see. But, say there's someone else there who has a terrifically tender conscience, and they are convinced, all right, that it's wrong to eat this meat that's been offered to idols. Now, Paul says it's not wrong at all. He says you're quite free to eat it. But he says if there's someone there who is totally convinced that it's wrong to do that, and, I mean, to keep the peace, don't eat it. He says give in to them, not because they're right and you're wrong, he says, but just to keep the peace. These things like this aren't worth fighting over. And, I mean, in regards to Christmas, I mean, whether you observe it or not, I couldn't care less. I'm going to have a good time, whether you do or not is your problem. But my goodness, we're never going to fight about it, are we? Can you see? So then Paul goes on to say, and here's the principle. He says, why should my liberty be determined by another man's scruples? Now, can you see what he's saying? Paul was more than willing to have his liberty curtailed by the word of God. If the word of God said no to something, then Paul considered his liberty was curtailed. But the only thing he was prepared to allow to curtail his freedom in Jesus was the word of God, you see. Not anyone else's scruples. So you could have gone on all day to Paul about, oh, you mustn't do this, you mustn't do that, you mustn't do the other. And Paul, to avoid a fight, would have acquiesced with you whilst in your presence. But when you'd gone, he'd have blown you a raspberry. That was what Paul was. You know, he'd have agreed to be bound up while you're around, you know, so he doesn't upset you. But once you've gone, he to you, you know. That's his attitude. In fact, his attitude to legalism was worse than that. Because I said that the big problem going on in Galatia was that the Jews who got converted were bringing over their Judaism into Christianity. And of course, under Judaism, you had to be circumcised. Simple as that, you had to be circumcised. Now, some of the leaders, the men who got to the top of the church, were Jews. But what they were doing, they were insisting that when Gentiles were converted, in order to be saved, they had to be circumcised. Now, some people think baptism is bad enough when you're grown up. 
but it ain't half as bad as circumcision, I can tell you. Now, can you see the problem? Therefore, there were people leading the church, putting everyone into bondage, and they became the circumcision party, and they went around causing trouble, telling all the Gentiles that they weren't saved unless they got circumcised. And, of course, they were totally wrong, because circumcision was the old covenant that passed away when Jesus died. We are under the new covenant. Now, when Paul writes to the Galatians about the circumcision, party. Do you know what he says? He gets so irate about them, he didn't love them, what well, he did, but not in the gooey way we do. He says, I wish that those who unsettle you would go all the way. I wish they would mutilate themselves. And it literally means castration. And what Paul is saying, he's so angry with these blokes because they're going around destroying the liberty that Jesus has given his people. And Paul says, well, if they really insist on circumcising themselves, I wish they'd go all the way, they'd castrate themselves completely, as far as I'm concerned. Can you see that sarcasm, that facetiousness, which is bringing out the anger that Paul had and the anger that God had towards those men? So then, and here Paul says, why should my liberty be determined by another man's scruples? He says, I'm not going to let it be. And he says, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He says, give no offence to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. He says, don't go out of your way to cause trouble. But the principle is that... Whatever you do, these things that are allowable, one way or the other, it's up to you. You're doing it for the glory of God. So then, what we've got is this. If you celebrate Christmas, but it's fine if you don't, no problem. It's no problem if you don't. You're quite free to. But if you celebrate Christmas, then Jesus, because you are doing all to the glory of God, and because you're Christians, and because Jesus lives in you, then Jesus is celebrating it with you. This is the truth of it. Now, let me try and bring this out by making a statement, all right? And it's this. I don't require you to have a dinner party. You are quite free not to have a dinner party, all right? But if you do, I would not like to be invited. Can you see the principle? You don't have to, but if you do, I'm normally hungry. Please feel free to invite me. Now, in exactly the same way, Jesus says this. I do not require you to celebrate Christmas. If you don't, he says, it's fine by me. But if you do, I would like to celebrate it with you. That is what Jesus says about Christmas. Uh, actual fact on Christmas morning, Belinda and I sing happy birthday to him. I mean, we, we go to town. We really, we love Christmas. But the important thing to realise is this. When Belinda and I go to town about Christmas, it is not for spiritual reasons. We go to town over Christmas because it's simply there and we love it, you see. But because we're, Chris we're Christians, the Lord is obviously in there with us, loving it with us. He's enjoying himself as well, you see. And also, there's the specific advantage about Christmas. But because it's nominally Chris Christian, I mean, it's only nominally, it's not really Christian, but because it's nominally Christmas, and because it's supposed to celebrate Jesus' birth, and that he was born in October, yeah, not that that matters, you see. But the point is that then we can actually throw a birthday party for Jesus, and it's great, and he can come to his party. I mean, this is really excellent stuff. However, another example would be New Year's <coughs> Eve. You see, 
Because New Year's yeah. Eve isn't even nominally Christian. Can you see? New Year's Eve has never had anything to do with the Christian church whatsoever. But the point is, it's, it's just something our society does. It's yeah. there. Christmas Eve and Christmas Eve celebrations are just there. It's neither right nor is it wrong. New Year's Eve. Sorry, New Year's Eve. So therefore, because it's there, and because it's neither right nor wrong, it's nothing to do with the Lord at all. The point is, if you like it, celebrate it. If you don't, don't. It's purely up to you. But, assuming, obviously, that your celebration of New Year's Eve is not inherently sinful, or you don't go out and get drunk, and things like that, assuming that there's nothing sinful about how you celebrate New Year's Eve, then like Christmas, if you really want to, then Jesus is going to be sharing in the good time with you. Now, you see, the point is that what we've said here about Christmas is the Bible teaching, it's the principle, if you like, in the Bible, that applies to anything and everything which is morally neutral. And there are hundreds of other things other than Christmas. For instance, this is the principle that applies uh, to music. I mean, some people only believe in Christian music. They think that secular music is evil. Now, my question is, well, I can see that if a Christian writes a song that he might have words about Jesus, all right, so I can buy that that's a, Christmas, a Christian song, but you get into real trouble with instrumentals, don't you? Because how can you pay two pieces of instrumental music? How can one be Christian and the other non-Christian? Can you see? I mean, it's crazy. And the scriptural position on music <coughs> is that it is itself neutral. This applies to plays, if you like going to the theatres. Yeah. So, some Christians still think it's wrong. Fine, they're free to. But if, you, if you're okay, then you're fine to go to the theatre. Films, yeah. literature, hobbies. This is the principle. Sport. These things are neither right nor wrong, it's up to you. And providing that any of these activities, providing that there is nothing inherently sinful about it, now, I'll qualify that, i.e., let's talk about sport. Sport is morally neutral. You are free, obviously, to partake in sport. If you like, you're free not to. But if you do, assuming the sport is inherently not evil, for instance, yeah. there's a difference between fox hunting as opposed to football. Yeah. Fox hunting is a sin, but not yeah. because it's a sport, but because it's the glorification of cruelty. You see that? Whereas, I mean, football is fine. Yeah. Or in regards to literature, I'm saying that you are free in regards to literature. But obviously there's a difference between Lady Chatterley's lover as opposed to Watership Down or Wind in the Willows. Can you see that? So obviously we're not saying that this is a total carte blanche, do what you like. But with these neutral things, as long as the specific thing that you're engaged in does not inherently lead you into sin, then in regards to it, you are free, you can do what you like, and here's the beautiful thing about it, the Lord will enjoy that novel with you. The Lord will laugh at that play with you. Can you see? He's in there with it. And this is the thing about Christmas. But just one more thing before we end, because if you go to Jeremiah chapter 10, because there's just one scripture that I especially want to deal with, because it's... Um, now, remember, I have said that Christmas is neither right nor, nor wrong. So, in fact, those of our brothers and sisters who say that it is wrong to observe Christmas, they are, in fact, wrong. 
We're seeing that the Bible says it's up to you. It cannot be right or wrong. It's up to you. So therefore, if I, as a, a big fan of Christmas, were to try and make it binding on you, I would be teaching you unscriptural things because it's not binding on you. But quite equally, those Christians who don't like Christmas, and that's no problem, you don't have to like it, you don't have to celebrate it, but if they try and tell people that it is actually wrong to celebrate Christmas, then they are saying something which is unscriptural. But there's one verse that often comes up with these people in Jeremiah, which we do need to look at, because it's one of the verses they say, there you are, Christmas is wrong. And in actual fact, this particular verse, they intensely believe, bashes the old Christmas tree. Now, I love our Christmas tree. Every year, out we go, biggest, thickest one we can fit in the room. And, I mean, if I mean, if you came to see us at our flat at the moment, you have to fight your way through the decorations. And that is just how we love it. The Christmas tree, I mean, the branches are drooping with all the little pixies and all the little fairies and all the little lights. I mean, we, we absolutely love it. So therefore, is the Christmas tree in danger? Let's read Jeremiah 10. Hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, learn not the way of the nations. This is talking about the idolatry going on around them in Canaan. Learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens. Oh, that's astrology. Because the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are false. Now this is it. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hand of a craftsman. Men deck it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. Now they say, here it is, the Christmas tree. <sighs> Idolatry, they say. Oh, it's a big no-no to have a Christmas tree because of what Jeremiah says. Now then, all right, on cursory reading, perhaps. But let's have a look at this a little bit more carefully. It'll only take a couple of minutes. Here, the Lord is warning Israel against the idolatrous practices of the Canaanites. Now, one of the idolatrous practices they did, do you know what it was? It obviously had nothing to do with Christmas, because this was before Christmas ever happened, wasn't it? I mean, they, were, they weren't all tied in with the Druids, because Druids, they were thousands of miles away. So even, even what was our old pagan Christmas and Yuletide didn't affect them, you see. And what they used to do, they'd get one of the trees, they'd cut it down, they used to deck it with silver and gold and decorate it, just like a Christmas tree. They then took it in their house and they worshipped it. Now the point is this. Do not let me see you worshipping your Christmas tree. Because that is naughty. And you mustn't do it. And Jeremiah 10 says you mustn't do it. But you see, can you see the great difference between a Christmas tree and having a tree in your house with decorations on that you're bowing down and actually praying to? It's ridiculous. And you see, also, the thing is this. If Christians are going to say that on the basis of this verse you cannot have a Christmas tree in your house, then it also goes that on the basis of this verse they can neither have silver or gold in their house. Do you see what I mean? Because the silver and gold was put on the tree. So if the trees are no-no, the decorations must be a no-no. So if you can't have the tree in your home, you've got to throw all your silver and gold out. 
And if that convicts you, I'll give you our address so you can send it on to us. <laughs> so can you see how, how crazy that is? That this is nothing to do with not having a Christmas tree whatsoever. So what can I do? A Merry Christmas to one and all. Belinda and I will be having a ball, an absolute ball. And what's so lovely is that Jesus will be in there with us enjoying it. But if there are any of you who disagree with what I say and Christmas is not your thing and you don't practice it, that is fine as well. It's no problem. It's neutral. It's up to us what we do. Right, we'll finish there. Amen. Thank you.